Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for April, May and June 2014, titled Christ and His Law. It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 8 for May 17-23, to The Law of God and the Law of Christ. Sabbath afternoon, May 17. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we open your word again this week. We look to see what you have for us. And as we study about the law, your law, and the law of Christ, those particular terms, we pray that they may become meat for us in due season. May your Holy Spirit guide us as we read your word this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is John 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Let's read that again, John 15:10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. In most nations, a hierarchy of laws exists. At the top are laws that come from the national government and that bind all who reside in the country. Then there are laws on the provincial level that pertain to the inhabitants of certain territories. Finally, local laws govern the smallest districts. Although each division within a country is permitted to make laws that are relevant to its constituents, none can make a law that contradicts the law of the nation. And... Though circumstances may dictate that a certain law be applied in different ways, the application cannot deviate from the spirit of the law. As the supreme head of the universe, the Creator, God, has established laws for all of His creatures. When Jesus Christ voluntarily transformed Himself into human flesh, He gave Himself to a life of obedience to His Father and to His commandments. Thus, everything that Jesus taught, the perspective that he put on the law, even the new commandment that he gave, was always in full harmony with the law of God. Sunday, May 18, The Law and the Prophets Some believe that the Ten Commandments, delivered through Moses at Sinai, were relevant only to the Israelites before the cross, and are not binding in the New Covenant era of grace. Others teach that Christians are free from the old law, but only those of Jewish heritage, and not Christians, are still expected to adhere to it. And... As we have seen, although the Bible does teach that the works of the law can save no one, no passage gives a person license to violate God's law. If any did, it would be a license to sin, and the Bible would blatantly contradict itself on a crucial topic. In this context, we remember that God revealed the terms of his covenant to Israel on tablets of stone that contained the law. However, the Bible contains many other commandments that cover details not found in the Decalogue. 
In seeking a comprehensive understanding of God's will, the rabbis counted 613 scriptural laws which they anchored in the Ten Commandments. Jesus appears to go beyond the rabbis when he announces that he has not come to abolish the law or the prophets, Matthew 5.17, while summarized in the Ten Commandments, the law of God contains every divine command spoken directly to or through his prophets. Question. Compare Matthew 19 verses 16 to 22 and chapter 22 verses 34 to 40. What do these verses tell us about Jesus and the Ten Commandments? First of all, Matthew 19, beginning at verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is, God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honour your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbour as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But... When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And then Matthew 22, beginning at verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Although there are hundreds of commandments that God has revealed in his word, the Ten Commandments provide solid principles that can be applied to all other laws. Hence, Jesus mentioned five of the Ten Commandments when speaking to the rich young ruler. There is an even more potent summary of God's law in the commandments found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus chapter 19, which is to love God and to love one's neighbor. Jesus declares in Matthew 22.40, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Ultimately, Jesus and his Father are united in purpose as they urge the people of God's creation to love as they have been loved, and obedience to the law is foundational to how that love is to be expressed. So to finish today, what in your life shows your love for God and for your neighbour? Monday, May 19, The Rules of Love 
Scripture provides a number of examples of Jesus' fidelity to the law of God. For instance, although his words in Luke 2.49 imply that at a young age he understood his identity when his earthly mother expressed the hurt she felt that resulted from his straying from the family, he humbly accompanied his parents home and was obedient to them, it says in Luke 2.51. On another occasion, Jesus refused to bow to Satan when tempted in the wilderness because worship was reserved for God alone, We read about that in Luke 4, verse 8. And there are several illustrations of his Sabbath-keeping. For example, Luke 4, 16. Paul wrote that Jesus' entire life was based on obedience to God's will in Philippians 2, 5 to 11. And Hebrews says that although tempted, he never sinned. Let's look at those verses. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Thus he could say, as he approached his final hours, in John 15.10, I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Question. Read John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. What did Jesus mean by saying that this was a new commandment? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Jesus understood that there is a relationship between commandment-keeping and love. Though we're not used to talking about rules of love, one could say that, in a real sense, the Ten Commandments are those rules. They show us how God wants us to express our love for Him and others. God is love, 1 John 4.16, and so in presenting His commandment to His disciples in John 13, Jesus is simply amplifying the law of love that originated in His Father. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, though more than just loving each other as ourselves, we are to love as Jesus loved us. Ellen White writes in the Acts of the Apostles, page 547, At that time, when these words were spoken, the disciples could not understand them. But after they had witnessed the sufferings of Christ, after his crucifixion and resurrection and ascension to heaven, and after the Holy Spirit had rested on them at Pentecost, they had a clearer conception of the love of God and of the nature of that love which they must have for one another. So to finish today, with today's lesson in mind, read 1 John 3.16. 
By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. How can we have this kind of love in our own lives? How can we die the kind of death to self that is needed in order for us to express such love? Tuesday, May 20, All Things to All Men Question. Take a close look at the references to law in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 23. What is Paul saying here? Why such a strong emphasis on law? For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law. Not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. That I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be partaker of it with you. God's desire is that all people accept his gift of eternal life and become citizens of his everlasting kingdom. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul reveals his method of attracting people to God's kingdom. He understands that there are cultural barriers that hinder people from making a decision for the gospel. Paul is willing to adapt to the culture of the group to whom he was witnessing for the sole purpose of seeing them saved. Ultimately, all who become a part of God's kingdom will be subject to his law. Consequently, those who minister for God must also be in line with God's will. Paul is quick to state that although he uses innovative methods to reach people, he is always careful to remain under the dictates of God's law. His desire to see people saved will not allow him to compromise the laws of God he is asking them to serve. He may adapt to cultural laws, but only if there is no conflict with the ultimate law. The principle that governs his method is, as it says in verse 21, the law of Christ. We can also understand Paul's reference to the law of Christ as the method that Christ used. It was a method based on love for all people and not just a select few. Paul does not intend for the law of Christ to be seen as an alternative to the law of God. The two work harmoniously together as the loving law of Christ is used to introduce those saved by grace to the law of a loving God. In fact, the entire section in which Paul so openly explains all that he is willing to do in order to reach the lost is a perfect example of the kind of self-sacrificing love that is revealed in the law of Christ. So to finish the day, how much self are you willing to deny in order to reach others for Christ? How much self have you already denied in reaching out to others? How much of the law of Christ do you follow?
Wednesday, May 21, Fulfilling the Law of Christ Whether revealed in written documents or in nature, the law of God discloses His will to every person capable of understanding. Romans 1.20 For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And Romans 2 verses 12 to 16, For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Consequently, no one can claim to be ignorant of the basic requirements of God. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and thus are destined for destruction. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. While Ezekiel 18.4 says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son, is mine. The soul who sins shall die. However, all is not lost. The curse has been reversed by the gift of eternal life, which has been made available through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, as expressed in Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. According to Paul, grace should empower the believer to live an obedient life. Romans 6.15 What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. And Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And Titus 2 verses 11 to 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. Although, as we all know too well, we don't always live as obediently and faithfully as we should. Question. According to Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 to 5, what is one way to manifest the law of Christ? Galatians 6 beginning at verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another." 
for each one shall bear his own load. It is important to remember that everyone is subject to temptation and can submit to sin in moments of weakness. With this recognition, it is insensitive for a person to immediately contemn a fellow Christian who has fallen. Even Jesus, who had never sinned, was willing to assist those who had been overcome by sin. As Ellen White wrote of Jesus in Desire of Ages, page 353, he did not censure human weakness. Paul admonished Christians to provide assistance for the purpose of restoration. In other words, the person who has sinned should be encouraged to abide once again by the precepts of God's law. The law of Christ is driven by mercy. Had it not been for his self-sacrificial death, there would be no reason to keep the law of God. However, because Christ has made eternal life possible, there is an incentive for the faithful to resume keeping God's law after moments of weakness. Fellow believers should use the law of Christ as a vehicle to transport the repentant sinner back to the arena of God's law of love. And so to finish the day, think about a time when you messed up and were shown grace, though you didn't deserve it. After all, if you did deserve it, it wouldn't be grace. How can you make sure that you remember the grace that you have received the next time that someone needs to beg some grace from you? Thursday, May 22, Law and Judgment Although God's law is a law of mercy, God will eventually use it as the standard of judgment. God has continued to provide opportunities for sinners to repent and pledge loyalty to Him, but the hour is coming when the cry will go out, as it says in Revelation 22.11, Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. This announcement serves as a prelude to the final judgment. Question in Revelation chapter 14, verse 7, the first angel proclaims God's judgment. Though a number of other texts speak of Christ's judgment, for example, Acts 17, 31, 2 Timothy 4, 1, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, how does John 5, 30 help us understand the role of Jesus in judgment? Let's begin with Revelation fourteen seven saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Acts 17.31 Because He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained, He has given assurance of this to all by raising Him from the dead. And Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. And Second Corinthians 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. 
and John 5.30. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Although Christ had laid aside his divine nature when he became human, we read about that in Philippians chapter 2 earlier in the lesson, he still had a special relationship with the Father. When the religious leaders accused him of blasphemy, he informed his accusers that God had given him authority to fulfill specific divine tasks, one of which was judgment. The fact that Christ has been assigned the responsibility of judgment demonstrates the mercy of God. Because Christ has become one with the human race, he is in a position to judge impartially. Given his familiarity with the human experience, Christ would not condemn a person unjustly. In fact, Christ suggests that condemnation does not come from him, but that the unrepentant sinner condemns himself when he refuses to heed the command of God. John 12:48. Many are familiar with the content of God's law, but don't know how to keep it. The law is not a checklist we use to see how close we are to the kingdom. Instead, it is an instrument that expresses various principles of love. Fulfilling the law does not mean that we obey it to gain personal favour with God, but it beckons each Christian to share the love of God with those who need it. As the standard of judgment, the law serves to measure the level of love that the individual has shared with God and humanity. When Christ presides over the final judgment, he will use God's unchanging law of love as the standard by which to judge, as it says in James 2.12, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Friday, May 23. From the Signs of the Times, January 25, 1883, Ellen White writes, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfil the law of Christ. Here again our duty is plainly set before us. How can the professed followers of Christ so lightly regard these inspired injunctions? We know but little of our own hearts, and have but little sense of our own need of the mercy of God. This is why we cherish so little of that sweet compassion which Jesus manifests toward us, and which we should manifest toward one another. We should remember that our brethren are weak, erring mortals, like ourselves. Suppose that a brother has, through unwatchfulness, been overborne by temptation, and contrary to his general conduct has committed some error. What course should be pursued toward him? We learn from Bible history that men whom God has used to do a great and good work committed grave sins. The Lord did not pass these by unrebuked, neither did he cast off his servants. When they repented, he graciously forgave them, and revealed to them his presence, and wrought through them. Let poor, weak mortals consider how great is their own need of pity and forbearance from God and from their brethren. Let them beware how they judge and condemn others. 
And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. Number one, reflect on the above two paragraphs from the Signs of the Times. Why is it so important that we bestow grace on those who fall into sin? Two, think about some well-known Bible characters who fell into sin, whom God was yet able to forgive and continue to use. What important lesson is there for us in these examples? And three, in what ways can we enforce church discipline while at the same time showing grace and mercy toward those among us who fall into sin? Why should we see the two concepts, discipline and grace, as not being in contradiction with each other? Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled The Man God Intends. Robert and his family live in a small town in eastern Peru. Robert's wife, Roxana, began attending the Seventh-day Adventist church and took the couple's children with her. She often invited Robert, but he wasn't interested in religion. However, in his heart, Robert sensed that his life wasn't what it should be. He often drank, but later felt guilty that his bad habits weren't a good example for his children. He wanted to be a better husband and father, but he didn't know how. Then an accident turned his life around. I was drunk when I lost control of my motorcycle, he says. I landed hard on the street, fracturing my skull and breaking other bones. I was taken to the hospital unconscious. When I finally recovered enough to return home, Roxana spent hours reading the Bible to me and talking about what Jesus means to her. I had a lot of time to think about my life and God. One day, I told Roxana that I wanted to make my life right with God. I wanted to marry her legally and be baptized. The pastor and a lay member came to study the Bible with us, and when we were ready, we were baptized together. Before we were united in Christ, our lives were sad, Roxana says. But now we sing and pray and read the Bible together as a family. We're so happy. Robert has returned to work where he shares his new faith with his fellow workers. Whenever I have a chance, I tell them what I'm learning about Christ, he says. I have a small computer and use it to show my fellow workers videos about the Bible and God. Robert shares his faith with his extended family. Although they aren't Adventists, they listen because they've seen changes in his life. Seeing the difference Jesus has made in Robert's life makes them want to make changes in their lives. Robert has gone from wishing he could be more actively involved with his family to being a model of faith for his family. We need fathers who will teach their children about Jesus and all he stands for, Robert says. It's the most important thing we as parents can do. With Roxana's support, Robert hopes to return to school and study public health so he can help people live a more healthful life. It's one way he can be an example of faith to those around him. Our mission offerings help to build churches in poor regions of Peru and throughout South America. Thank you for supporting mission with your gifts to God. 
Your reader this week has been Dr. Percy Harold. The lessons have been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember that God is always faithful.